was am I? Herb, herb, surrounded by darkness. But I see a light. I think I'll follow it. Uh-huh. Everyone pay attention to me. <laughs> I have something important to say. Great. And, and and it's about 1996 Twister. Yeah. Do, do you guys want to li- do you want to listen to what I have to say about 1996 Twister? Sure. It's, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm open to it. <laughs> okay. So you read the thing. Let's get into it. Yeah. Fucking I'm I'm so amped wow. right now. Wow. We, yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's get it. Let's just cut into the chase. Okay. The storm chase, huh? <laughs> it's right. Twister. So, yeah, I want to talk about the destructive like filming of Twister. Hmm. People may not know, it was a horrible shoot. It's one of the more successful movies, definitely of that year, if not of that decade. Yeah. And the production, you know, Adam, it was a real whirlwind. Oh, dude, is it going to be this the whole time? (laughs) Yes, it is. But let's not move on before we intro the show. This is Director Peace Theater, where we talk about, like, directing stuff and stuff like that. I'm Abe Epperson. And I'm Adam Uh, Ganser. I'm here with my co-host. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. Victimized by puns, Adam Ganser. (laughs) Yeah, I do it all the time. I'm the worst. Yeah, so this one is a slightly weird one, because I'm going to kind of... I kind of did a deep dive on Mm -hmm. the making of Twister and I just kind of wanted to tell a story and then I wanted to kind of pose a question if we had time. Yeah. uh, Which I I I think would be very fascinating. I agree. Anecdotally, I had never heard any of this. You never heard any of this. I had never heard any of this. All right. Well, okay. So I I thought this was kind of, I know like I'm pretty sure Tom Ryman and I talked about it at one point. There's a few like, you know you know, film Twitter kind of people who are like, know about this, but like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to assume almost no one who's listening to this knows about what happened at Twister. I think that's, um, I think that's interesting that it didn't permeate the zeitgeist on the it's same It's pretty level. intense, man. Yeah. Let's get into it. Sure. So I broke this down into like three sections, pre-production, production, and post-production. Let's mm-hmm. start with pre-production. So the director of Twister is Jan de Bon. Uh, and he was brought on after he left Godzilla. Uh, and he left Godzilla because of creative differences, which is kind of a hilarious thing yeah. uh, to say about yourself, like if you're Jan de Bont. Uh, I don't really have much about, like, I didn't research why he left other than to say that it was creatively, they just disagreed. I imagine he had an axe to grind and he wanted to do things in a particular way. Yeah. Uh, because if you have a pr- production or a studio be so unforgiving to the point of exiting a project when you're like kind of an A-list director, I personally, it would kind of embolden me to secure a bit of control in my next project. Sure. So is, let's, that's is kind he of an a A-lister? Is he an A-lister at this point? At this point, he had done speed. Right. So he right. had, he had like knocked out of the park. He had been on project. He also was the director of photography and Die Hard. For a bunch like, of stuff, so, yeah. So, like, granted, he wasn't, like, a... Maybe not A-list or he wasn't, like, a name like that. But, like, he was, like, a summer blockbuster go-to person. Yep. He was consider- he, he was going to direct Godzilla. That right. was a huge amount of money. And he directed Twister. Like, that. talk about a bigger summer, you know, for him. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> also, this... So, at the helm... Uh, in terms of, you know, the production, uh, was that it's actually a collaboration between Paramount and Warner brothers, which we don't really see anymore. Hmm. And the person who kind of brought it into fruition was Steven Spielberg. Of course. He read a story, a short story called catch the wind by Jeffrey Hilton. And he then presented the concept. It's like a short, very, very short story. It's like 10 pages. He gave the concept to Michael Crichton. 
So huge names already. Crichton and his wife, Anne-Marie Martin, they were paid $2.5 million to write the screenplay, uh, which made Twister the single most expensive screenplay ever written at that time. Unbelievable. Uh, I just wanted to be like footnote later it later in the year, it won a Razzie for screenwriting. So, but we're going to get into that because wow. this is all a part of the picture. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea being that I think it was like kind of a cash grab. 2.5 million is unheard of at this point. It kind of still is. That's a lot uh, that's of a money. Lot of that's money. a lot of money for a screenplay. I mean, he's Michael Crichton. He like yeah. three years before Jurassic Park, you know, like we're talking huge. Uh, but yeah. still. They're kind of saying like, let's make money. Let's make this is 1996, baby. Everything's going a fantastic. Let's cash out. Right. Uh, so Debont also implied, and all these things are kind of being uh, that all my research is kind of being taken from source interviews. Uh, um, there's this huge Debont uh, Entertainment Weekly interview uh, that I'm going to reference a bunch of times, and that's the uh, he says straight up that the Crichton Martin script left much to be desired, and that he brought in Joss Whedon, <clears throat> who was a ghostwriter mm. for Speed, uh, if you remember the previous episode, with DeBont, uh, was called in to kind of rework it. Whedon dropped out because he contracted bronchitis at some point, so he <laughs> couldn't be on set. So he worked on it, but he left. And then another writer was brought in, and then two weeks into production, a third writer was brought in. I mean, they flew him to set because there's so many conflicts that they just need someone who is like, will you just be here for the duration? Yeah. And uh, and so he was flown to set, Jeff Nathanson, and he worked on the script until principal photography was finished in order to adjust things day to day. Because as we're going to soon learn, writing was needed because of the rigorous coverage and shooting style of DeBont and all of the things that he was up against, mainly the weather. Um, it's, it's completely in, insane to me that bronchitis was enough of a reason for Joss Whedon not to apparently it was write this. bad bronchitis. He also got married, so, like, oh, okay. I don't know. All right. Well, but there's so like a it's whole... Like, what's that, a two-week illness? Like, what? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> I know. Think, uh, it's just what I... Yeah. The producer uh, alarm goes off of me immediately. I'm like, what? That's yeah, insane. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Why? Why? Uh, in 1995, Helen Hunt was like obviously the clear star of this movie uh, due to Mad About You. It was a huge success. Uh, so, sorry, I said Paramount earlier. It's Warner Brothers and Universal. Mm. I'm already going to, you know, I'm not even going to go back and edit that <laughs> you're just gonna learn that i sometimes just go off the cuff but uh <laughs> yeah it's universal studios and warner brothers did not like uh helen hunt for the role because they're worried that she wouldn't have time to finish the movie before shooting the next season of mad about you so but like debont was insistent hunt even admitted to uh that he was uh, quote, the hiring of her was, quote, ridiculous, telling Entertainment Weekly once again, quote, everyone was telling him you can't put an $80 million movie on the line because Helen has to go back to her TV show in August. Jan was like, I'm doing it. So we already know that Jan DeBont is kind of like kind of headstrong. What are the yeah. things that we know about him so far? Didn't like the script. Michael Crichton. Don't like Godzilla. It's not. We just disagree. Everyone's telling me, you know, you, don't, you can't cast Helen Hunt. And he's like, I'm going to do it. DeBont said in an interview, I wanted Helen because she reminds me of a whirlwind. She can boss people around. Uh -huh. She's a strong persona, which I like. Uh, and the studios didn't really care about that. Uh, but ultimately he won. Uh, and Mad About You ended up delaying by two and a half weeks so Hunt can do Twister. That's insane. Which is unheard of. That's, that's totally NBC, insane. That's NBC moving 
for fucking Warner Brothers, they're direct competition. Like, why would they do that? I don't know. It's insane. I, can, I, can I, you're going to, this is going to blow your mind, but I actually happen to know exactly why Je- Jan DeBont left Godzilla. Because I was, oh, you do? I was researching Roland Emmerich, uh, who came on to Godzilla after. Jan DeBont was trying to make a traditional Godzilla creature. Oh. And, and like he, he he was trying to honor the original Godzilla idea, like in terms of the way the monster worked and stuff. And okay. it became fraught because uh, they didn't that idea care. didn't super work. Uh, that's well, the impression I'm getting from the Roland Emmerich version of the story. Version of things. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, time has told, I don't know, whatever people's opinions of yeah, Godzilla yeah, yeah, yeah. are, uh, you know, who was right about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't do well. No, it did and not. And Twister did. Yeah, I think he got the better Twister end of that. Twister did real well. I think he got the better yeah, end of that, did. bizarrely. Also, mm-hmm. I hate that quote about, uh, I hate that quote about Helen Hunt, because it's dumb. Uh, like She's a whirlwind and has a strong it's like, persona? It's, it's like, we get it, man. You're a director and your metaphors and stuff. I do think that the strength in her is a, is a true <laughs> factor here, though. Like, it matters to the movie. Yeah. Like not the way he's described right. it, but her the, her quality that I think he's trying to describe does matter to the movie. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, it's more important for what's about to happen yes. next, yes. <laughs> which is the production. So I just wanted to, pre-production was kind of a preface for everything. The production is really where the good stuff starts. <laughs> so let's start with Yonda Bont's insistent on shooting in Oklahoma. Uh, the backgrounds kind of tell the story here. A lot of the sections were indeed shot in Oklahoma, but as the production started to lose time and press on, the season started to change. And apparently visually this happened a lot faster than people were accustomed to. So Kim Bromley Carson, one of the VFX supervisors said in an interview, Quote, one morning we came on set and all the corn had these little tassels overnight, so nothing was going to match. So they moved the whole production to Iowa for the final climax in the cornfields. Oh my God. Like your major set piece. That's insane. The F5 tornado. It did film in Ontario and some other stuff that, you know, I only bring up just because it's like, it's not like they're idiots and Yonda Bont was like, we're shooting in Oklahoma, which is, you know, notoriously like frenetic and between sunny and rainy. Um... You know, they thought about it and they were like, let's go to someplace like Ontario and shoot in a gloomy place for some of the B-rolls and the tornado shots. But the scene work of the movie was shot in indeed Oklahoma. And that's tough. And they they made sure they did that. One of the um <clears throat> well, recalling the experience to the New York Times and in, in like the same year in an interview, Yanavant said uh, that he and his 350 strong crew were contending with floods and off-screen tornadoes themselves because it was like tornado season as well. So as he explained, quote, it was nothing like at, uh, it was nothing like that I've encountered in my entire life. We kept getting stuck in the mud. The whole thing was like moving a circus around with dirt roads. Um, after filming in a particularly unsatisfying ditch, talking about mud, for the first tornado chase scene in which Bill and Joe... Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt are forced to shelter uh, an approaching F1 tornado in the short bridge, uh, the kind of first tornado set piece of uh, Twister. Hunt and Paxton needed hepatitis shots. <laughs> oh my God. So <laughs> that is a nightmare. So like, I, I, I'm upset hearing it. I'm like, no, man. It's a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. Goddamn nightmare. Yeah. Good thing that they have so many people to like ask these questions, right? Because, uh, a lot of people aren't asking questions, so it's good you have a lot of people. But like, uh, like that's the kind of thing I feel like they're benefiting from the '90s already. 
because I don't think that kind of thing could stay uh, would would be as not big of a deal as it was. Right? I feel like if that happened on the set now, like the actors needed hepatitis because of the conditions, hepatitis shots, yeah. that would be a story, a big story. It, yeah, that would probably be a big story because yeah. we've learned a lot, but it's the 90s, baby. Yeah, right. Everything's rolling out gold. Yeah. 96, there's only money to be made in blockbusters, well, and, so let's yeah. go. I mean, yeah, this thing did print money too. I don't know. It did print money. Uh, so, yeah, let's get back a little bit to the choice of Oklahoma. Halfway through filming, both Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt were temporarily blinded by four 16K lamps over the course of a day of shooting. These lamps were chosen so camera could roll with a reduced exposure. So just so what this means, if case people are interested, basically the background is so bright because it's a sunny day and they didn't want it to be a sunny day. They wanted it to be, be like dark and gloomy. So they brought in a shit ton of light and put them on the subjects. So things look pretty balanced light wise. The background and the foreground are, are like pretty one to one lighting wise, ratio wise. And it therefore camera can kind of stop down and expose for a dark and cloudy day, even though you physically are not. That's why it's people typically don't shoot this way because the sun, no matter how much light you bring in, the sun is the most powerful light, period. Um, so Paxton uh, remembers that. Uh, quote, these things literally sunburned our eyeballs. <laughs> I got back to my room and I couldn't see. The actors took eye drops and wore special glasses for a few days after seeing doctors to recuperate. And apparently their corneas like regrew after a few days. Oh my God. Because uh, they stayed back. They stayed in their hotel room for several days to solve the problem. When they came back on set, a plexiglass filter, I assume with like UV protection was placed in front of the lights. So they could shoot the rest of it, <laughs> which is great. Cause after your sunburned eyes, uh, and you're all healthy and back, even though you're probably a little tender, uh, the best thing to do is to throw you right back in the same situation that brought you there. That's, Cause you didn't finish your day. That's so terrifying. Uh, like not only is, terrifying. not only is it like painful and why didn't they assume mm -hmm. that might happen and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine your sight being burned off by a light and then being like, let's yeah, keep imagine making you're a movie. Blind and not knowing if it's temporary or permanent. Oh my God, man. That's insane. Yeah, there's a lot of interviews about this, actually. This is probably the number one most quoted thing sure, about clearly. this production. Just because there's people love to interview um, the stars of the show. And this is definitely one of the biggest like scares that happened to the stars. But as we'll still learn, there's more to unfold in the story of Twister. Unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, let's keep... I, I do want to keep talking about Helen Hunt and uh, Bill Paxton, though, uh, who... Eyeballs was not just the only problem. Uh, There's a few things. Uh, Bill Paxton got he, uh, his head got hit by a camera because of this filming style of Jan de Bont. Uh, he kind of uses like close lenses. So the camera is like physically there. So when like moves happen and if something isn't choreographed correctly, uh, you know, like there's a lot of action or choreography. Bill Paxton stands up at the wrong time. Boom. You get hit in the head with a Panavision camera. Not the worst thing in the world, but not great. Right. But, more importantly, Helen Hunt. During the F1 sequence, the one I mentioned uh, on the bridge, Hunt repeatedly hit her head on that bridge. And uh, she was so exhausted from shooting that day that she, sh she stood up so quickly. Uh, she hit a beam. And some people say she got a concussion from that, but she won't speak to it in interviews. <laughs> My God. 
another one is uh, d- another t- time she hit her head a bunch of times was in one particular stunt where Hunt opens the door uh, while they're like trying to get Dorothy, which is like the apparatus they use to like it's their it's their like holy grail if they can put this in a tornado it's going to you know send back all the data so they're trying to get under a tornado and put this machine under it um and so they're going in and out of the cab of the car of their truck and so when she goes back at one point or she's trying to she's uh she's getting out she repeatedly hit over the takes uh her head And it's uh, the the door itself uh, would slam into her. Paxton said about the event, it scared the hell out of her. And I don't blame her for being upset. Hunt reshot the scene uh, because they didn't get the footage they wanted. So this time they put a railing in order to, in order to hold the door open. Uh, so someone we haven't heard from about this instance is Yandabon himself. <laughs> he had in an interview, recalls the same moments. Uh, she hit her head so hard on that bridge over and over again. I couldn't believe it. She was just so into the scene. She forgot. One time she almost fainted. She hit it so hard. And there was one other time she got hurt a little bit. She was supposed to hold a car door. And when the shot was over, she forgot the door was still there. So it banged. It wasn't very hard. <laughs> the bot was definitely encouraging to hunt, reportedly telling her at the uh, end of the shoot, you were very strong. But in an interview later... Uh, with Entertainment Weekly, he said uh, about the uh, car door incident, I love Helen to death, but she can also be a bit clumsy. Hunt's response was clumsy. The guy burned my retinas. (laughs) (laughs) And in a recent interview, as in like recent last year, Vulture interviewed Helen Hunt Mm. and reminded her of that quote. And she responded, this just tells you, it tells so much about like what this particular interaction in this particular set was like. She responded, quote, Let's just leave it at that. We'll just let him have that last word. That it happened because I was clumsy. <laughs> That's just someone who's so resigned and gu- given up about yeah. the story. I mean, I think she, I also she seems like very professional. Like like so far she's yeah, coming off. Of course. So it, her professionalism is incredibly impressive. Like mm-hmm. banging your head one time is like sure you know that's that sucks and it's sad. Continuing to do it because you're so absorbed in the scene as an actor is right. like as a director. I mean, like get in front of that grenade, man. You know what I mean? Like if the actor mm-hmm. can't stop doing it, dive in front of the grenade, man. What are you doing? Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I I know we're gonna talk about all of this later, so I don't want to get way ahead of it. That alarms me. That's one of the first things I've heard that like that's I'm no, genuinely it's good. You're alarmed about. Out, like, Bookmarks, yeah. bookmarks for our conversation. That's, that's like safety talk... doesn't matter. That's that now. That's what I'm yes. now alarmed about. Yeah. I want to talk about the crew. Sure. So the DP of this film, <laughs> the first DP of this film <laughs> uh, was Don uh, Burgess. Mm-hmm. And he has every DP brings their own camera crew, right? So interviews with, I think it wasn't, it's not a source that someone like they don't want to get you know, crew members are like, (laughs) when they give interviews, they consider themselves, which I think is like imposter syndrome, but Hey, it's the reality of what it is. They don't usually give their names out all the time. Right. Uh, but they claimed quote, they didn't know, uh, of DeBont, uh, a camera crew person said, quote, didn't know what he wanted until he saw it. He would shoot one direction with all the equipment behind the view of the camera and then he'd want to shoot in another direction right away and we'd have to move everything. And he'd get angry that we took too long. And it was always everyone else's fault, never his. 
DeBont elaborated his side of this in a different interview. Quote, the studio was unhappy that we didn't get more done, and they kind of gave me an ultimatum. Either you start taking scenes out, which I didn't want to do in particular, or you get on schedule. DeBont claims that they had to schedule at least three scenes every day because the weather changed so often. And, quote, Don had trouble adjusting to that. Mm. DeBont blamed the ever-changing weather for the last-minute shooting changes that he made and argued that Burgess's inability to adapt to the weather only exacerbated the time issues. It should be said, for those who don't know... Uh, I don't want to come off as sympathetic to DeMont, but he's a very accomplished DP. Yeah. He shot Die Hard and The Third the Man, Man, for example. The Fourth Man. Not the, the Fourth Man. Man. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, the Third Man. Yeah. So he doesn't not know what he's talking about. Yeah. It, well, right? so there are interesting figures missing from this conversation. Like the first AD and the producer are missing from this conversation. And that is interesting. True. Also, can we just take a yeah. one small step back and comment? Don Burgess's work is exquisite given what this film is. Like, mm -hmm. this is an impossible film to shoot and control light because there's no interiors. There's like, no. there's like I don't know, 20 minutes of interiors in the two-hour movie? Mm -hmm. uh, that's Also, given that the year before Braveheart uh, came out and John, like, um, uh, John Toll was the DP, mm -hmm. and he changed the game because he's known as, like, Mr. Daylight Exterior. That's, yeah. like, kind of what they call him in film school. John Toll was the guy who was like, I'm going to do something that no one's ever done before. I'm going to blot out the sun with my, like, silks in order to create soft light. And the dude shoot Bra Braveheart, and he's, like, making these, like, 80-foot silks, which usually they're, like, 20-foot. Right. You know, and he's just like stretching them across the skyline in series, one after another, in order to shoot these enormous fight scenes. And so everyone, as soon as they saw that, were like, in order to be relevant anymore, you have to do stuff like this. So these are big moves. They're not like, okay, let's bring in a little bounce board here. Let's flip a light around. Let's maybe add a unit over there and over there. We're not talking about that kind of calls from the DP. We're talking about, okay, so you know that crane and that crane and that crane and that crane, they need to drive over there to the other side of the quarry and they need to be like, they now need to be black fill instead of like, you know, yeah. uh, instead of silks or something like and that. And then make that happen in 30 right, that's minutes. That's the thing is make it happen in 30 <laughs> minutes. That's the crazy <laughs> part. It's going to be three hours. Like also, dude. you know, if you're a, if you're a, a film watcher, you probably don't realize this, but like Twister's a hell of a lot harder to control light wise than Braveheart is. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. with you on what John Toll did. And it does look great. Like the soft mm -hmm. light is great in Braveheart. Twister, we're talking about, you're looking at 30 miles sometimes. You know what I mean? Like you're right. looking at and you're looking at your character and 30 miles because they shot in Oklahoma, you know, so it's flat. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have any mountains you, like it's it, it's this is not an easy movie to, to DP and be out of time. Uh, and I'm not I'm not against Jan DeBont in every aspect so far, but mm -hmm. I do just want to say like the work here is good from the DP. Like he's not mm -hmm. making excuses for himself anyway. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, the crew considered getting T-shirts made with Debont's favorite curse word. I'm just including this because it's like adds a little, uh, little. It's playful sauce because you have yeah. to remember that Jan Debont is a is a Frenchman. So uh, they tried to ridicule and sass him with these T-shirts, uh, and what they had is uh, his favorite curse word, which was fucking hell shit. 
<laughs> which apparently that's probably what he said a lot. That's probably funny. Uh, they ended up actually not doing it. This is just once again uh, through interview because the tone on set wasn't one which that kind of joke would be received. That well. shirt, if they so, had done it, might have fixed this mm, problem. It could have because it could have let it all happen. Yep. But instead, here's what happened. Five weeks into production, DeBont knocked over a camera assistant in a fit of rage who missed a cue. Burgess and his crew of about 20 walked off the set, much to the shock of basically everyone, including the actors, everyone but DeBont, who probably knew it was coming. According to DeBont uh, interview again in the Entertainment Weekly, uh, with the wind machines, it was very loud, so the crew had to watch my hand signals. I cued action, and he walked right in the middle of the scene. We kept losing good performances because of stupid things like that. I don't think I'm a hothead, but I do believe that you have to be passionate. These crews get paid well, and when they screw up, I'm going to call them out on it. Mm. After the walkout, Burgess's crew remained in place for one more week until the new DP, Jack Green, and his crew replaced them. Wow. So can, it just very quick question. I don't know if you even know. What do we mean by knocked over a camera assistant? I think you pushed him to the ground. Like as, like, I, I guess what I'm, I, I guess I, the only. I think he was angry. He called cut. Yeah. Angry. Yeah. Ran over, pushed the guy down and said like, what the fuck or something. So like, is what like I'm high school quarterback shoved a, like a bully shoved him to the ground. I believe. Okay. I mean, I, there, there's no one who's t- talked about it, yeah. but they, people say like knocked over, pushed. These are the things people said. And it's not like they interviewed the person. I haven't right. seen that interview if they have. And it doesn't sound like that anyone got injured. No, no. Uh, it, due to but it. that's a that's a very demoralizing thing to happen. Oh, it's... A, a yeah, camera it's assistant can't fight diva. back, really. No, they can't. Like, politically, they can't. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if they complained... Like, even if they complained or went on Twitter or talked to a producer... The likelihood of firing Jan de Bont, even in 2021, is pretty low from an event like that, right? Like, I don't even think in today's climate that would happen. Do you? That they'd fire uh, him? Yeah, but the way it typically works is that uh, it, it even a director would have to go pretty far on a studio movie in order to fire a camera assistant. Unless, like, the producers all agreed that the camera assistant was doing something insane. Well, I mean the reverse, because the reverse version. the DP hires that crew. Yeah, That's, right. That, that, huh? I mean, yes, you're totally right about that. I mean the reverse version. So, like, director goes and physically abuses a camera assistant, which is what happened here. Right. Even in 2021, yes. if the camera assistant complains and people saw it, do they fire the director? I doubt it, right? Oh, I, it depends on the director, man. We yeah. are still seeing the fallout of this kind of shit. Yeah. You know, like right now we're still at the cusp of like, okay, Joss Whedon fucked up Justice League. Right. Let's get the Snyder cut. Right. You know, like, so the resolve seems to still be like, we'll show you the other version, but that's coming from Zack Snyder, who's already in name. So I just don't think that the Hollywood machine moves for anything other than like, to protect the people who bring in money and the money. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those dudes do it, but Joss Whedon is on his way out. Zack Snyder now is, I guess on his way in, but like whatever or has been, in. I guess he's just more, he has more clout now. He does make more money. Um, now, I mean, even anyway. Scott Rudin who, who, I mean, this is an aside and we'll talk yeah. about in more length, but Scott Rudin is doing basically this kind of shit every day yes. for 30 years or whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, basically, like, this expose comes out, you know, clearly many lives very fundamentally damaged by what he did. 
and he still kind of gets to step back and presumably come back in five or ten years if he wants to, right? Like it's not a, he's not I getting a know. steep punishment really. It doesn't feel like I if it's any if if history is any indication of it, yes he can. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll I don't know if that's going to be true in five years, but you you make a very valid point. It's kind of the same one I'm going to go for. Right. At the end of shoving this. a camera uh, but system, there's a lot to be talked about. Totally, shoving someone is—it's uh, just unprofessional. I know people get hot on set. I know that people—if you—it's literally you're losing, you're hemorrhaging money if you don't get a shot, or you're hemorrhaging time and you'll never get a shot. And things are aligned, and your whole point is that, like, all right, everyone, we're going to train for ten hours to make sure we get like twenty minutes of perfection. And then someone does something like this, and it's like, oh no. But it's not like the guy wasn't, I don't know, there's a lot to unpack. 100%. It's not like the camera assistant didn't have, like, the the wind, there was wind, at, you know, like there was right, a lot right, of things right. going on. It was a complex thing that was happening. Someone can screw up. Yonda Bont's saying, hey, you get paid well and you screw up, I'm going to call you out on it. Uh, that's different from pushing someone down, though. Completely um, different. In any case, yeah. I want to just keep yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. forward. Yeah. Uh, so... Let's get a third-party view of this. Jack Green, the DP that they brought in after, um, had these words to say about working with DeBont on the project. Uh, you know, after the after uh, production had completed, quote: "I've seen a lot more difficult directors to work with than Jan. I've also seen a lot of easier directors. He's socially a." It, extremely congenial person but he focuses so intently on his job he's extremely demanding and this pitcher had some of the most difficult conditions of any i've ever worked on you combine all these elements rain hail wind debris with his call for five cameras on a small setup and 13 cameras on a larger setup wow and your level of concentration has to be intense wow. so obviously jack green is Securing his job for right. the future. As is everybody Obviously, here. he's working well. Yeah. But he didn't walk out and all that. And he did. So people can say a lot what they want to say about what DP is doing, what that works with Yonda Bont. And if Yonda Bont is even, um, you know, justified in any of these things. But his approach was definitely, yeah, you have to be intense with your concentration. It wasn't like Yonda Bont was being outlandish. These are just two points of views from one person who finished a movie and one person who left a movie. And all in the middle of it all, Yonda Bont's behavior could have changed. He could have realized, fuck, I can't do right. this shit. I'm going to be nice to the next yeah. guy. There's a lot going there on. There could here. have been a come to Jesus moment after that shoving. I mean, having to replace mm -hmm. the crew is a big deal. Uh, but mm -hmm. like the kind of secretly telltale sign I think here is how many cameras they're using. Like yes. they're using five cameras on a small setup and 13 on a larger setup. I, I, like, let's return mm -hmm. to that because I think that's a, a big piece of what's the problem here. Right? Like, I that, that concerns sure. me. Anyway. Yes, we will return to that. Um, Helen Hunt said of all of this, uh, you know, quote, when you're when there's one camera rolling, everyone's intention is how do we get everything we want into this one frame and keep it safe? When you got four cameras going, everyone's focus is split. Then add to the fact that the wind machines are on. Nobody could hear anybody. You couldn't say don't roll. The person's not out of the way or hold on. I need to check this again. So she's espousing essentially that point. Yep. Two days before principal filming ended. Green himself, the new DP, was injured when a hydraulic God. house set used in the scene where Joe and Bill rescue Meg and her dog. Uh, 
Moe's, I believe, from her tornado yeah. destroyed uh, home in Wakita. It designed. It was designed to collapse on Q, but was mistakenly activated with him inside it. A rigged ceiling hit him in the head and injured his back. Back, Jack uh, Green said, "Wrong place, wrong time." I had a back injury and had to go to the hospital. I missed the last two days. But on something like this, you're not going to come out of it without some bumps and bruises. That's just yeah. more, you know, relenting from Jack Green. DeBont took over his own director for photo- took over director of photography for the last remaining two days of shooting. <laughs> of course, because he was just like, I got two days left. I'm just going to shoot murdered myself. Everyone which else, I, very Soderbergh. <laughs> he has to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. DeBont was less... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm skipping ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about like just the, what the provision, the special effects were for this movie and how they were a thing. Because yeah. obviously, they always are. Uh, the wind that was created by the seven wind machines that they lugged around. And also, they had two jet engines, which is so great because it's like, to me, you create wind machines, which are huge fans or like a series of fans in a rig. And then they're just like, you know what's also effective? Let's just get some jet engines. <laughs> I mean, wow. And this is what they do. So they were timing the speed of the winds for some of these shots up to 200 miles per hour, which I don't know if you guys know, but that's literally the speeds of tornadoes. So they're actually in tornado like conditions and they're adding rain and director, (laughs) the director Jan Devant admitted they didn't have to act anymore. Helen Hunt told Yahoo news. It was terrifying every day. (laughs) And she's, and you know, she's biting her tongue. Like she's yes, she seems very gracious to me so far, and it does seem terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like just hearing about it, that sounds like a nightmare. Imagine being like, "This is too terrifying. I would like to ask people to stop." They have to have like some kind of safety, like hand yeah, gesture or something. Yeah, yeah. But still, imagine you're in a situation where you're like, you are getting paid well, very well, but you're also being told, if you are terrified beyond belief and you can't continue, make an X with your hands. <laughs> I <laughs> it's guess. Like, yeah. Okay, good to know. I have a safe word for being in a space. Um, so yeah. Let's throw in top of everything. What you're probably wondering is, yeah, you got wind and rain and all that stuff, but it is also Twister and they didn't do special effects for some of these things that are pelting, uh, the pelting the actors at 200 miles an hour in some cases. And let's just say that Yonda Bont was less sympathetic when it came to the debris, some of which was real. Paxton and Helen Hunt were in the car. Uh, when a life-size farm machinery made from lightweight aluminum and a two-story house, literally, they just had a two-story house frame, they dropped into the path and they rolled across the street. Most people probably remember this shot. Uh, In their TV Oprah interview, Paxton pointed out that a harvester really did smash the windscreen of their car, only for DeBont to add, quote, it wasn't that dangerous. They get scared very quickly. A word about this Oprah interview, by the way, which is has nothing to do with this topic. I just think it's fascinating is that I found out when my research that in an interview with a different actor, the woman who plays like uh, the soon to be the fiance of uh, Bill Paxton, Jamie Gertz, the actress played Melissa Oprah. She said that Oprah had some kind of bad faith surrounding this whole thing. She quote, she then breaks for commercials and then she comes back and says, All right, and now for the survivors of real twisters. So here are all these actors, these dopey actors on stage. And now we have these people who are like, I burned 
lightning hit me. And we're like, oh, it's just so humiliating. <laughs> Here are these real survivors of Twisters, and we're just these pretend movie version. I just got to give it to Oprah. She's a real one. But that's some fucked up do, shit do you right think there. She, okay, so do you, does it ever enter Oprah or her producer's minds how that would feel for the crew or cast? I don't think they care. They're they like, this is going to be fantastic. Well, they're TV. right. I mean, also they they kind of have an obligation as TV producers to do that segment, right? Where it's like now, like mm-hmm. now, let's hear the real story because that's even more fascinating. Not telling, not telling Twister the Twister cast that that's they were going to do up. that. Yes, that's, that's really bad. Fucking amazing. Yeah, I totally dude. agree. That's like that is fucked up, but it's also like next yeah, level. <laughs> I mean, that's a troll on like a fucking Tom Green level or something, you know? Like, well, it's just like it's just like I don't need to, so I'm not gonna. I don't give a shit. It's gonna be better if you are like deer in headlights. <laughs> I, I, uh, I that seems. Uh, God, I just maybe I just want to believe the best of her, but that seems like a really big oversight. But maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe it isn't. You know, I mean, it isn't. I let's just call it what she is. She's like, like she by doing that, she's like draconian. Yep. I'm gonna say that of Oprah. That's fine. She's not hurting anyone. No, really. no, it's just for TV. So it's yeah. not like bad. I'm not calling her out for anything. She's a real one, like I said. But straight up, <laughs> I don't think that that was that is evil. like I wouldn't do that. That's free. Yeah. But I mean, it's, like it's fucking Oprah. She that. Why do you think she's on top, baby? Uh, so you, you're going. Okay, let's talk you about. You are post. all the way in on. She definitely knew what she was doing, and she did it on purpose. You're all the way in oh. on that. Okay. <laughs> Come no, on. Okay. Great. Come great. On, I, I, I like that you're taking the stance. Okay. Uh, that's good enough for me. I can move on. She definitely knew. It's yeah. great. Uh, so let's talk about post. Uh, because some of the footage had these bright sunny skies, uh, you know, and they couldn't, you know, blind the actors every day. And some shots you just can't. No matter how much light you bring in, you're not going to fight the sun. Right. Many shots. Industrial Light yeah. Magic uh, signed on to do 150 digital sky replacement shots. After the footage came in, that number doubled, baby. <laughs> so that added a big chunk to the post budget. DeBont claims that Twister's physical production cost close to seven, $70 million, of which 2 to $3 million went to the director. It's speculated that the last minute reshoots in March and April of 1996, uh, one was to clarify a scene about uh, with Joe as a child that's like at the beginning. Uh, And uh, there's some overtime requirements in post-production and at ILM uh, that raised the budget to 90 million, $20 million in post. It's a lot of money. That they didn't even plan for. Warner Brothers moved up the film's release date as well from May 17th to 10th, which when you're in the final moments and you're doing final mix and all the work's been done, but it's all coming together. That's a freaky thing. I I think anyone, even if you've made a short film, if you're moving up a week, like late in the game, crunch. you're crunch time. terrified. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the reason they did that is to avoid audience cannibalization because the release of Paramount's Mission Impossible Another big uh, movie. That two weekends Can, later. So they wanted a good two week run, three week run of just being the top. And guess what? It paid yeah. off. Can um, I also just because it gross in, inject yeah, the up? like just a a fact like a sympathy fact here for for the the bond. uh the 150 digital sky replacement thing, uh, and then they have to double it. That sounds insane. Uh, I'll just point out that Starship Icarus 
which you and I made, or I made, and we were all part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. We tripled the amount of shots we believed we were going to have CG, and it was a huge problem. That was also probably one of your first. It was like yeah, visual effects totally. for it, like of that level, right? So totally. like that explains that a, a little, little bit, bit but also me. so maybe we underestimated as part of it. Uh, but also I understand how that happens though, because you're trying to plan ahead of time for a thing that you really can't predict entirely, especially with the production. Yeah, you like don't that. know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I'm just moving <clears throat> on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, DeBont's insistence on using multiple cameras, uh, cause he wanted that documentary look once again, vision of the director. Let do this isn't huge, but it just adds to the money in po- like in pre-production and throughout post and editorial and all that. They exposed 1.3 million feet of raw film, and at the time, whole movies were often completed, even blockbusters, was no more than 300,000 feet. That's completely insane. That is a staggering fact. Uh, yeah, if those numbers don't mean anything to you, it, it's account so sizable that Eastman Kodak, the people they bought the film from, bought the production champagne. <laughs> so that kind of tells you. Uh, Twister grossed $242 million in North America, becoming the second biggest movie of 1996, only beaten by Independence Day. And worldwide, it grossed almost $50 million. 500. And in five, yeah. oh, sorry, 500, $500 million. In a post or in a pre billion dollar movie, 2010. It's a huge hit. 1996. That's huge. huge. Hit. It's a huge yeah. movie. People that, I mean, I'll probably like. People don't talk about Twister enough, but I. So I always assume that it was like, yeah, yeah, it was a big blockbuster, I guess, at the day, but like no one, that it wasn't really influential on people in terms of like like zeitgeist. Um, I think I'm probably wrong about that. I think probably most people who had like a like American upbringing who went to movies kind of that uh you know level of you know economic system saw twister I think it's one of um, the five or six like summer movies from that decade that everybody mm-hmm. remembers Yeah it's, it's like, like that and like Mission Impossible I think is another one uh like Jurassic yeah. Park Well Mission Impossible lost to Independence and Day Independence and twister, Day so. yeah I, like see they had three of them that one year like that year was like wow like that's three very good blockbuster movies uh anyway yep yeah i i yep. remember it vividly so, i remember seeing it in the theater and it was like wow this is a hell of a movie you know mm-hmm. yeah so now i kind of want to have a discussion yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, we're pretty late in the game i blazed through that i hopefully people found that interesting and stuck to, uh until this point and i just thought that it would be a fun exercise uh that neither of us are blockbuster filmmakers not really you know directors yeah. uh we've never but we have had uh you know Projects worth like sixty thousand dollars, where our names. The Star Wars kind of one was quite a bit more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. As was Starship Icarus. I feel like we both had more expensive than that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we use it's tough to call because we usually bundle them, right. which is a very smart thing right. to do when you have content to create as opposed to a movie to create or a web series to right. create. Where it's like, yeah, we're shooting one day this, but anyway, there's things that we did that are were in, there's an intelligence to them for cost benefit analysis, but like. Um, when the question I wanted to get to is like, let's discuss kind of like the demands of the mm-hmm. director. When a director, when, when does a director capitulate artistic vision? Ooh. Should they ever? And on the flip side, let's say 
if it wasn't like this case, like Twister, if you don't mistreat someone, but the studio's demands of the production are so high that the working conditions are compromised, is the director, is this the director's fault as well? Because often we lay that at the feet of the yep, director. We do. Yeah, the director sort of becomes a stand-in for the producer and the studio when it comes to working conditions mm-hmm. in the public eye. Yeah. Uh, I thought Twister was a good example of, like, here's a case where he did a lot that he was like, he was kind of, it was based on ego, but he also did a lot, like, there was a lot of things fighting him. And I thought it would be a good a one really, to be like, well, there's gray areas, yeah, there, right? I, there are a lot of gray areas here, in my opinion, uh, and I'm sure the audience is going to be like, what? Uh, like one of them is to me, I hear this story and I'm like, okay, so this guy is in a situation where he's being asked to direct an incredibly expensive movie and there's pressure everywhere on it. Right. Uh, one aspect of that pressure is some of the biggest names in the industry have, are the Genesis for it. Spielberg and Crichton at that point are like Titans of the industry. Right. So like, and then they give this project to Jan de Bont. So you have to imagine that he feels an extraordinary amount of pressure to deliver uh, a spectacle, especially because he's made one movie before this. Speed. One movie. So, like, he's got to deliver, right? And just, like, I'm thinking about how would you make this movie? Like, how would you do it? And it's like... It doesn't sound like there's a ton of negligence going on in terms of the techniques. Does it sound like negligence to you when you hear it? Are you thinking um, that? I think <clears throat> hindsight's always twenty right. twenty, and it's tough to say like you should have known that like that much light would need a UV blocker. That is something that mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. multiple people should have known. But it's one of those things that like time and time again you get that because there isn't really a job that exists where because it's not needed 99.9% of the time uh, for someone to be like are these lights up to quote unquote code there isn't even a fucking code for that because it's just not a situation that comes up so yes someone could have been employed to be like I am looking out for this exact problem that's usually how the studio solves it that's the creation of most jobs like studio teachers weren't created until two kids yeah, lost man. their head on yeah. Twilight Zone also Steven Spielberg by the way well, um, he wasn't the but, director, just so everybody knows. The director was John no. Landis, uh, and, that was, and John it, was Landis. His, it was his <laughs> fault that he happened. He was involved in that project. Yeah. He was, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. true. But I'm just saying, this is how jobs are created. Right. Uh, there still is not a job that, like, uh, you know, determines, like, whether or not putting these two, these four lamps in serial will blind your uh, leads. That is an obscure... And they can be this close or not. Yeah, that is an obscure thing. I mean, like... Uh, it is. Uh, and yet I still knowing a little bit about, I mean, again, we haven't made million dollar movies. So like, you know, whatever, but like, you know, first ADs are set safety officers. And I feel like that's a, there is a job. That's a relatively, uh, that's a relatively intuitive question to ask when you're standing anywhere near those lights. Mm -hmm. Like a story that I talk about, I would definitely the AD, I would definitely yeah, that's point a huge problem. The blame at yeah for stuff like the hepatitis, like that's obvious. And the jet engines and the lights, like that is the fucking <laughs> first AD's fault, and yeah. therefore the producer's fault. I mean, a story I tell all the time. I'll tell it very briefly here to not get way off topic. My first gig coming out of film school. Did I ever tell you about this? Oh, I love this story. When I, okay, great. I was yeah, of course okay, you. Okay, great, great. I was an associate producer. 
on, uh, so of a behind the scenes camera team. Okay, so I'm producing a behind the scenes camera team for I, I'm filling in for a friend uh, for a music video by a band called X Japan. In like 20, this is about 2012, they were spending like four million dollars, some crazy amount of money to make music videos. Okay, and because they thought they're going to take America by storm. Spoilers that did not happen. So. <laughs> On this set, and I'm like, you know, 30, like, and I'd barely done anything. Like, uh, I've been on student sets and stuff, and I'd 80 to feature at this point. So I was a little, I wasn't totally green, but I'm wandering around. The director of this was like the director of Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People music video. Like, these are fairly famous people. And um, all day long, I'm hearing griping back and forth between a gaffer and a first AD. Okay, like I just hear it all, back and forth all day long. Yep, 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 right? Finally, after lunch, I just hear somebody scream, oh, shit. And uh, we're working in a theater, uh, and it's an old theater. And suddenly there's this blast of uh, water from the the firefighting, like the fire security system, the sprinklers. Uh, all that water that had been stored up there, I don't know, 50 years. They probably never cleaned it out, right? Old water. Yeah, it's just water. Yeah, comes yeah. blasting down on millions of dollars of equipment and people and extra pan who had marvelous hair up until that point. And like uh the entire set is ruined, right? <laughs> like that's what happened. Right. And I'm and full of water. It's full of water. <laughs> like I, enough water to put out a fire yes, and a music yes, video. Destroyed a, and destroyed yeah. a band's dreams. And I'm standing next to this producer, this old producer, and like he, you know, he looks at me and I'm like, hey man, how's it going? I met him earlier in the day, he was pretty salty. And I was like, hey man, how's it going? He's like, You ever seen Titanic? And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Well, I'm the captain of that fucking ship. It's like okay. He's like, better go fucking film it, it's right? Such a, it was amazing, so good. Such a perfectly old grizzled. He was so good. I loved him so much, or us. and he hated me because he it. was directing the ex Japan video itself. I yes, assume. he had, he was actually like he losing was the, his career. Right, he was there. doing this. Yeah, yeah. The point being, aside from just telling right. the story, <laughs> right. the point being, uh, the AD and the gaffer were arguing about the heat of the lights being in too close a proximity. To the sprinklers. That was what they were arguing about mm -hmm. all day. And the gaffer mm -hmm. was like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And the AD's like, I think I do. And he turned out to be right, mm -hmm. but the video suffered for it. So like, don't tell me the AD doesn't know that he's nuking the eyeballs of Helen Hunt. Yes, he does. How could he not know that? Yes, he does. How can he fucking not know that? But he doesn't know necessarily it's 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 uh, a medical condition. Stand in front of the light. Uh, in terms of like UV... Yeah, you just stand in Come front. Come on. I assume it was a compounded problem. It must have been. But yeah, you can... You, if you are a DP or if you are a gaffer, uh, you can stand... You don't have to, but you usually have stood be, like stood in at the lights, a, a super bright light, and gone, yeah, this is probably really hard to act under. Um, granted, they don't understand necessarily what that entails. Uh, so it's those that kind of thing it, where there's like disparate jobs. They don't know what they don't. It could know. have fallen in um, a crack. That is possible. But but that one seems pretty blaring. Um, that one seems impossible. I know I've done shit like that, and I consider myself a jack of all trades because I've DP'd, I've directed, I've produced, I've you know done a lot of the jobs on set, and uh, I still made huge mistakes in my career, uh, including like not nothing that like ever hurt anybody, but like. I remember on Agents of Cracked, uh, I had a like a fog in a can. Yep. 
and I was uh, shooting, uh, <laughs> we were shooting and we wanted to fog up a little area. And, uh, I was like spraying, I, I was like, wait a second, this is mo- mainly just like CO2. Is it going to like knock off any of these fire alarms? And I was like, I bet I'm not that close. Cause we've gotten away with stuff like this before, but apparently I did not. Cause, uh, like 30 minutes, like not even that, like 10 minutes later, there was like a knock on the door and there's a dude in like fireman suit and he was like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. We have video of you. Like just like spraying shit into our sense, the sensors. We thought the building was on fire wow. kind of thing. I was like, Oh no. Wow. Uh, so it's that kind of shit. And you just like, don't do that. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> you have all the paperwork. I assume you need to be here, but don't do that. And who do you have looking for that? And I was like, dude, it's honestly me and like three of these, these three people. <laughs> like, this is just, this is just like five guys. <laughs> it's not really a set. Uh, so, you know, that's a small, that's scale a, mis- that's a misunderstanding. Mistake. Uh, that's a misunderstanding and not knowing. And, but, you know, like, this is not the no, level that this, you know, 350 crew members that's, that's a are huge a part crew. of. Uh, that's a massive, massive crew. Well, I, I assume not at a given right. time. The 350 number is probably it's everybody, but like including post and stuff. But it's still, yeah, like at least on the day, there's probably 50, 60 people there. Yeah, at least. And granted, only like... Tw- Granted, only probably 25 of them are trained to look for these kinds of problems, but that's still 25 people probably on a given day, not to mention some of the producers who should have been thinking about this before it even started. I mean, that's, that's like a, um, who aren't even on that's set. That's a huge percentage of their job. Like Again, and I'm not trying to like make this yeah. all about Abe and I telling war stories, but like safety is a thing you can't compromise on as a filmmaker. Like you just can't. No. Be, like like Jan de Bont's lucky that Helen Hunt didn't like get a hemorrhage or something, or like you know didn't lose her sight, yeah. or like and because it's very clear to me, and I I understand the impulse to like try to bury it in hindsight, um, because you don't want to look like a fucking raging mm-hmm. maniac. I get that, but like it's very clear to mm-hmm. me that he had warning signs and he wasn't really that worried about their safety. Like, like he yes. was not willing, like pushing people yeah, down. He was not willing to change the plan for safety. Like, I don't think any mm. e- any maniac director, you know, including John Landis, who to me is the worst example I've heard in a while. Uh, yeah, wants somebody to get hurt. Unfortunately, beloved uh, Werner Herzog yes. as well. They don't uh, guys. want people to get hurt. Yeah. They just understand that, like, look, you know, if the shot doesn't look good. Then I then I'm gonna be blamed for that, and like I can't deliver mm-hmm. something that doesn't work, and not right. not being willing to say like this is as good as I can do, even if it's not as good as it needs to be, and mm-hmm. I have to live with that. That's a hard thing to do. Um, I also think it's kind of important, or at least it's overlooked. I think, um, because we talked about like who's to blame for these different things. That's important. I'm glad we talked about that a little bit, but it's also, we look at tyrannical directors. Like you can literally Google tyrannical directors and you're going to get a mixed combination of people that I don't feel like are in the same category. No, you know, like for example, John Landis, let's drag that motherfucker. That guy did not care about kids. I mean, uh, I, 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 that's maybe a little harshly worded. He brought two Uh children to set in conditions. They shouldn't have been working did not tell their parents and a, a famous actor named Vic Morrow. 
and he ran a stunt involving a helicopter and was warned that the helicopter could capsize and kill them. Didn't listen repeatedly. Still wanted to put them in that, you know, stage it that way for the shot. And it was like, I'm going to gamble that it's going to be fine. I mean, yeah, I'm going to maybe take the word murder out and just put he negligently killed those people. Yeah, uh, it's a manslaughter. Yeah, yeah. same <laughs> it's as like a Sarah Jones story, right? Like everyone's, mm-hmm. I, this is a story I tell to my students yeah. all the time. These are, but right. like essentially, yeah. there was a film in 2014 that was an adaptation of an Allman Brothers story called Midnight Rider, where a first AC or second AC was killed because this this film was shooting on train tracks without permission from the local authority. And this is like train tracks that were not, they were on a trestle without railings. So like people were not designed to be on this bridge and a train came and they didn't have time to get off. And the camera person, mm-hmm. her name is Sarah Jones, was trying to keep a hold of the camera and she was hit by the train and killed. Uh, and they had warnings. Mm-hmm. The local train authority tell them don't shoot out there. It became a huge thing. There was a whole yep. union dispute, dispute yep. and... Uh... It wasn't just a lawsuit. It changed the fundamental way in which our our industry works. I remember, uh, and like people had on clackboards for uh, you know for a long time. Sarah yep. Jones, R.I.P. Um, it was a movement within the film, you know, for community because it's just like us saying you can't, we can't let that shit happen. But on the con- on the contrasting um, part, like if you're Jan de Bont, so like that's one half of this, right? Safety is like, look. This is how people get killed, right? You you compromise because you got to get the film. Yes. Yes. But on the other hand, to make a sacrifice in the film for set safety is a there is no earthly reward for this. You don't get any praise for it from anybody. You know, like uh, he's not gonna. Nobody's gonna say good job, buddy, for saving Helen Hunt's life. <laughs> They're not gonna do that, right? They're gonna be like, no. "Why is your film bad?" That's what they're gonna say. So it's tough. Yep. There's so many lines to be kind of drawn because there's like a cavalier aspect that we sometimes pin. Like, I guess I want to finish my thought about like, you you, you can't put Gene, John Landis in the same place as like, uh, like Fincher. Fincher's considered tyrannical because he has a quiet insistence on numerous takes and unrelenting camera standards. I don't think he's ever put anyone in unsafe conditions. I haven't really looked at that, but that's not what he's known for versus someone like James Cameron. Yes. Who does. That's who I was you know? thinking of the whole time while you're reading this is like, yeah, James Cameron put people in the abyss in like dangerous mm-hmm. situations. And I think Jan de Bont is kind of like walking that line right. here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hitchcock and Kubrick will more Kubrick was known for abusive, like, conditions that he'd foster intentionally for his cast members. Emotionally abusive. Not that's physically not abusive. Emos- that's not yeah. good. That He should be called right. out on that. But he's not... He, I don't think he ever put anyone's life on the line. That's a different category of fucked up, is all I wanted to say. Doesn't make it any better. It's just like, why are we comparing tragedy, I guess, is the question. Or why are we lumping it all together? And la- not doing that. I think that that's something that's worth calling out. Because if we can all agree that F- Dave Fincher is not tyrannical because all he's, I mean, he is, but like he's not in the same, he's not a John Landis, then I th- I absolutely think that we can say Kubrick wasn't a James no, Cameron. These guys don't care about your feelings, but they do care right. about your safety, like your physical safety. Right. And 
that's an excellent some way of people, putting it. Excellent yeah, some people will be like, well, feelings are also part of safety. And I think that's true. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's, it's there. There's a big part of that, that, that I think that that's important. And they should be quote unquote dragged for those instances. Yes. I'm not saying that these people should be given a pass to do anything. I just think it's interesting that we choose because we don't want to like understand or we don't care. It's easy to simplify. I think it's very interesting that we do that. And I think Yonda Bont did uh, do some things that he should be dragged well, well, for. Shoving, shoving I think the, that's the whole shoving the camera guy. Uh, like the fact that the whole camera team quit tells you, mm-hmm. like, I do not think the whole camera something yes, was going the on. The whole camera team would yeah. not have quit over that incident probably like even no matter how bad it was they probably would not have quit and i've loved this guy i i talked about speed uh on this program i've talked about yeah uh die hard and his contributions in another one like i'm not saying he isn't an excellent craftsman at what he's doing uh and i don't think he's the only one to blame for this i find this story and this whole this whole thing about the the making of of twister fascinating because it cuts to the root of the problem, which is what are we talking about when we say like what it, when we, it's very easy to say, is it unsafe or is it not safe? But when we talk about these things where we called movies that we make that are like, nothing dies for these things, nothing ought to die. It's a job. It should just be as safe as any other job. And people die, not necessarily on the reg, but like as pretty recently things have happened to the more dangerous part of the jobs, like um, die, um, stunt doubles and do. stuff. And, and as early as only like a half decade ago, or I guess more than that, but like a huge deal with people who should not be putting their safety on the line at all. It's not a part of the job description are killed in subways. This is something that needs to be addressed and it needs to be sussed out with very clear and distinctive language about what we're talking right. about. Because if we don't do that thing, we can't really diagnose people the problem. People do die on the regular for film. Uh, like that's just a thing everyone should know. Film is per capita one of the most dangerous professions in the world, uh, for obvious reasons. Yes, is that right? Yes, I looked that wow. up uh, like a per- year ago uh, in some article. That's fascinating. Like per capita, again, like I'm not saying there's more people that die for film, but it's more dangerous for the, you know the people who are working in film on a per numbers basis, according to an article I read. So forgive me if this article is full of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does make sense to me because like as a person who's produced and directed, I understand that people have to climb on ladders and uh, people have to rig explosives and people have to jump out of helicopters right. and, you know, climb buildings. And, you know, like that's, that's the expectation for the business. Not, that's not exactly. the abusive part. Um, so, you know, it's dangerous right. and, and people do die. That happens. So all the more reason why as a director, you know, when you're asking everybody else to do all the hardest work, uh, you are being asked to sort of essentially play like a quasi political role. Like it's not just a creative role. It's also a political role in the sense that you need to be grateful for the contributions people are making and treat them like human beings um, because people, human beings need that out of their leaders. They just need it. And mm-hmm. directors have a responsibility to deliver that. And unfortunately, very few human systems reward that kind of need. Um, and the Hollywood certainly doesn't, uh, but it is there. You know, it's absolutely there, which is why you hear these stories about David Lynch or 
not David Lynch, uh, David Fincher, or even Ellen, or, you know, people who, you know, have been working in a system for years and years and have been rewarded for producing good content, but never for being a kind person. And over time, you just slowly sort of go where the pressure is leading you. It's hard to stay compassionate and thoughtful about the people that work for you when there's no reward for it. Like a, like an actual like uh, accolade for it, if that makes sense. There's no humanitarian director of the year award. It doesn't exist. Right. right. Uh, and, I, I'm, and again, I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm just saying like, this is human nature. No, I think it's well this said. This is human nature. You have like, so Jan de Bont has so many pressures that are forcing him to like put all these people in danger and he has to minimize the amount of danger he put them in because otherwise he is ruining his career on the other side. He's not meeting this other expectation, mm-hmm. which is like, don't be a, a, a maniac monster. Um, and yeah, d- yeah, don't, don't endanger people and uh, especially physically, but also emotionally. And he's being negligent of that, but also so the studio is like breathing down his neck. So there's this weird, it's, it's once again, this weird, it's not a catch 22, but it's kind of like, it kind of feels like this dystopic kind of demands of some parts of this job, which a lot of jobs do have on different levels, Absolutely. which is to say that, which is to say that like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, I'm told from over here in order to keep my job and be a part of this, I have to kind of, I have to say these I have to do these things rather, but I feel like I should say these things. And that's how unions are formed. Right. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, like, and that is ultimately what we're talking about is that this kind of unionization against this or these standards that are set essentially, because that's the ultimate aim of the union is to set a standard of like, you behave this way. This is how professionalism is <clears throat> because of the, because of the effects of like your emotional distress or abuse you know, Kubrick, Cameron, Fincher, Hitchcock, you know, Landis, you know, DeBont. Uh, I, these people are all in that category. But also, you know, when it comes to safety, we do have very specific standards. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to me that, like, Cameron still gets away with some of that stuff. It's not I that crazy, though, because 90s, you know, and I know exactly why that is. That guy prints, prints right. a billion dollars when he makes a movie. Mm -hmm. And it's usually done almost always by negligence, period. But not not with Cameron. Uh, There's probably Not with Cameron. Cameron actually puts people in bad situations. Uh, Yes. I think when it comes down to it, there's two larger ways of breaking this down. The director's immovability and getting their vision done, uh, especially when there is control, like Cameron always almost has. Uh, ensuring that they get the shot or the sequence perfect and two, the reality of the production's limitations or the lack of control on how the director is immovable in getting the number of shots in the way in which the sequence is shot. So that means there's really two variables we're talking about. How much control does that production or director have over manipulating and gathering the footage that they feel they need and how immovable are they when it comes to moving on? The first is an acknowledgement of the lack of lack of control and the second is a factor of ego. So if we ask ourselves if a director is guilty of coercion or abuse, obviously the first thing we need to ask is what they did. Did they knock down a crew member? Did they demand unsafe or unhealthy work conditions? These are usually pretty cut and dry. But when it comes to attaching blame to the director for making the movie in a particular way, I think it's important to separate the issues of ego versus the issues of lack of control. Because then that becomes a situation where it's like it's not just their fault. 
if it's a lack of control, I think the guilt should be shared by more than just the director, producers, writers, studio, all should be holding a I bit agree of that. With that. Uh, I think one of the most recent stories I can think of of a director sort of abusive situation that was a big discussion point was Tarantino asking Uma Thurman to drive that car that she expressed she wasn't comfortable with, mm-hmm. and, and uh, she ended up getting in a car yeah. accident. Obvious stuff. Yeah, that is a more egregious example because nobody really needs her to whip down this narrow corridor in order to tell that story, right? Like, like, uh, yeah, there's so many ways ways to do it. it. He wanted a cool shot. It is a cool shot. I understand that part of it, but like, it's clearly, uh, it's clearly he thought he could get away with it, and then when he didn't, he tried to cover it up. A thing that. Uh, also, Jan de Bont is doing right. Whenever he's sort of minimizing the danger they're mm-hmm. in, he's doing the same thing. He's saying like, you know, uh, you know, this wasn't as bad as it as you think it is. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. And, and like that is also very human, but I don't want to excuse it because that tells you they know they did something they shouldn't do. Exactly. Um, sho- a, <laughs> That's why I included. Yeah, those shoving parts. a crew member to the ground. I, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I just want to say this because. That tells me you do not value the people that you're working with. Like you don't see yes. them as equals to you. Uh, that's yes. the part. That's one of the most disturbing things I've heard. Uh, because, look, man, being an AC is very hard work. I could not do it. Like I do not deserve to be paid money to do be a first AC or a second AC anywhere. Um, I've been paid mm-hmm. once or twice to be a DP, and that was a real foolish decision. Uh, ACs work mm-hmm. very hard, and on this movie where there's 13 cameras, uh, that sounds like a recipe for mistakes and miscommunication. And Jan de Bont getting frustrated is completely understandable, uh, because this movie sounds like it would be war on your psychology all day. Uh, but mm-hmm. shoving the guy or gal, probably a guy, I hope, uh, is tells me that like he's crossed that threshold of like being frustrated into I'm going to punish somebody who I think I can get away with doing that who I I can yes, get away I can with get it. away yeah, with doing exactly. that exactly it's power dynamic and it, it's frustration it's all I understand it's a emotionally complex moment but you have to walk into these when you're walking into this kind of war uh where you're fighting the elements and you're fighting your own vision you know what can go you know what's free your idea. It is. I'm sorry. Yes. You decided to make a movie about tornadoes yes. and like you, maybe we ramp that 200 miles an hour down, you know, like maybe we do some things in order to not make it look as awesome. I understand movies are awesome. I myself wish my movie is always the yep. most awesome, but you need to, if, if we're talking about the big triangles that often, you know, we think of when we think about the limited resources of our job, I don't know if you've seen like the, you know, what is it? Fast, cheap, expensive fast, or something like good. that. Fast, Choose two. Good. Yeah. Fast, yeah. cheap and good. That's right. Uh, to pick two, you know, like you kind of have to make this kind of, if you can't always have this equilateral triangle of each of those points where all of them are fucking up to 10 and perfect. You just can't. That's just not how it works. But what you can do is you can try your best to create a like a, a program that works. And I think to me, the one that the the variable that can always be crunched down 
is your version of ego, anything that's ego based, you know, like something that's like, I wish it to be this way because I wish it, because I think that this will be my, this is my vision. And I would think that this will be the best version of the events. And guess what? You're being immovable in that and people are getting hurt. You've done, you done fucked up. I agree. I think also like, this is a good moment for anybody who's interested in film or makes films to appreciate the power of, uh, pre-producing well uh because a half of the Mm -hmm. reason why he's in the situation probably is uh not a realistic enough pre-production um yeah probably very protracted probably informed by the scripts unhappiness with the scripts just like like kind of the attitude we can run out there and grab it a little bit right like the camera situation tells me that's the philosophy we can grab we can grab this Mm -hmm. we can make stuff work and on the one hand, make work, yeah. I applaud that because that quality, like for instance, Abe is very good at that as a director. He's very good at making a lot out of not the best circumstances um, and being like sort mm-hmm. of a, f- a flexible filmmaker, which I have a harder time with. Um, I admire that. But I think in this case with this guy, they probably needed to to anticipate more problems so that they weren't in a situation where this man has to treat people this way. You know what I mean? Like, I, cause that's part, of, I don't think he would have ever done it if he didn't have to do it by have to, I mean, I by have to, I don't mean needed to, I mean, be in a situation where pain I, was causing this, yeah. you know, I do agree with you in your result, like the resu- result of what you're talking about. I do think that there, the reason that I'm, I guess I would fight back a little I'm bit excited. on that uh, is because the reason, for example, I'm flexible in some given moments, I think, and in this case, the flexibility, not of like, let's be flexible with like not being like fast and loose with pre-production, but flexibility in order to be like, you should adjust your yes, anticipation what of mean. what your, your version of his version of like, or vision should be is because you're never going to control the fucking weather. You're just not, you can be very smart and choose when to shoot the wet, like when to shoot or where to shoot. But if you're going to make things decisions, like I need to shoot in Oklahoma, you're going to live in that bed that you made. And if you're like unhappy with the fact that the bed you made is a hard bed to sleep in, guess what? Don't knock people over. Right, that's right. not, not a, a good, that, yeah, that's acting like a baby. Uh, I can. Yeah. I, so your flexibility should come agreed. out of you. And, and that's why I'm saying, I guess is uh, that like, you have to be kind of more of a hard nose about that in pre-production. Like I, like, but no amount of pre-production is going to solve. No, no, no I, I agree I'm with you. you. Like off, some of these yeah. problems were probably unsolvable. Not all of them, though. Yeah, yeah, not, not all. all. Of them. And like again, right. this is a compounding thing. Like, what's the thing that sent this guy over the edge to shove a to shove a camera system? I don't yeah. know. Uh, right. Hepatitis is different from let's shoot in Oklahoma right. during these months. Like, yeah. those are two very different problems. I mean, so yeah, you and absolutely. I remember having some pretty heated conversations about pre-production. On like some of these big crack shoots, like we we would do that. Factors that are sometimes beyond your control, sometimes not, sort of compound into this uh, pretty miserable experience uh, when just a few things go a way that you don't expect. You know, like I like as you know, I teach production management uh, to college students, and one of the things I'm constantly saying that I'm sure they're like they they roll their eyes at uh, is like some mm-hmm. stuff's gonna break. Things are going to go wrong. You know, like you're going to lose money and you're going to lose time. That's that will happen. You must plan for it. 
And uh, I'm sure that they did some of that on Twister, no doubt. But they spent $20 million mm. more than they prepared. They did double the sky replacement shots. They were shooting with 13 cameras. And Helen Hunt got her head bashed mm. what sounds like a minimum of five, six times. Tells me uh, they didn't plan enough for things to break or not to work. Right. You know? And yeah, they didn't have time for rehearsal. They didn't have time for walking it through all the stunts or, you know, and you can only knock down a house once, you know, right? like sometimes that, but they clearly were knocking down a house more than once, I guess, but you can only do it a number of times uh, before you're like, feel like it's safe. And it's funny, like, it's not funny, but like Jack Green got hurt because they were preparing. Uh it's hard to look at all these cases and then here's say, the problem. Uh, yeah. this is, here's the causation. Here's causality, uh, you know, but it's also to be said, uh, you, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta make sure that you are doing everything safe all the time and no one feels unsafe. Uh, <laughs> period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, and you need to work that. It's funny to me that they always say in movies or that the way that it's taught, or at least when we were like doing our EPR production, you know, mm-hmm. courses, uh, like they, they teach you the way it's done and the way they kind of tell you at USC, <laughs> the way contingency works, the way they yeah. teach that. And like the intro is they just say, and just put that on there. It's like 10% right. of everything. It's a budget consideration. Primarily. It's not like why that money is there. Like to them, that's like, oh, you had, you, you were, you made a mistake and a boo-boo and they had more people on set. So you have to get more lunches. That's coming out of the same budget, quote unquote, designated on, you know, in that actual budget of the line that is also sharing that money is someone gets hurt on set and needs to be taken to uh, yep. the hospital and they, and out of pocket outside of insurance addition, additional yeah, deductibles or whatever is necessary. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. So that goes into the 10%. It's like, that is crazy to me that that's how it's done in our industry. I mean, I guess I, that's a way in which it can be taught because it's like, you just, you need to do that. that like it's as immovable as the sun, but it's just like, well, that's really crazy that they just say everyone agreed it's 10% or whatever it, the percentage is. And they, and that's, and that's how it goes guys. That's one size fits all guys. It's like, well, no twister is going to have a lot more of a problem than, I don't know, bringing up baby or like, yeah. Lost in translation. Something that just has no lost in translation. Doesn't have jet, jet engines blasting people's hair. Yeah. This is a, it's a a natural disaster movie. Shit's going to go crazy. I mean, we're (laughs) speculating a little bit on how much they, not a little bit. We're speculating on, on their preparation. It just doesn't sound very prepared to me, uh, or as prepared as you would think. It sounds like, it sounds like they just assumed more control. That's what it sounds like to me too. Uh, and therefore time would not be as big of an issue. So we're, and those problems compounded those I mean, problems. we're kind of dunking on them because of it, and I, that's why I kind of am trying to soften it by pointing out moments that we've had at Cracked that were very similar uh, in the sense that, like... Oh, man. I was I was trying I, I was trying to soften it by saying, like, look, these guys aren't in the same category as a right. Landis, but should be appropriately Agreed. dragged. I feel like that's enough that anyone in our profession is, you know... I'm not saying you're a monster. Right. I'm not saying any of that. Yeah, you're Yonda Bond. If you're listening to this, I think you're <laughs> he very talented you. and you he were had you your so back much. against a big yeah. br- like 
I, you had your back against a like an immovable object, which is you know what you had. You could have relented some of the stuff if you wished Helen Hunt, you know, not to get her eyes burned. It, you, you could have relented your vision a little takes... bit, uh, but you didn't, and you got away with it. Hey, that's what happened. Right. That's you the have, reality. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It takes a lot of uh, courage to make this movie. I think. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like I was thinking about it as I was watching it. People had to be high constitution all, all, yeah, all the current cast. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, like, on the one hand, I just wanted to comment, because it, it actually surprised me a little bit, this screenplay won a Razzie, because I don't think the screenplay is really that oh, yeah. bad. Uh, it's not... It's got some bad it's, stuff. It's not great, I agree. But, like... The extreme! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's dumb stuff, for sure. But, like, the premise itself of, like, this team of scientists trying to catch a tornado... Is awesome, like a really, really mm. good premise for a blockbuster movie. Uh, My favorite scene is when Bill Paxton grabs some dirt and like talks to the tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> Like is the tornado whisper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my. Favorite I mean, and scene. poor Helen Hunt yeah. is like sort of seeming the whole thing together with like her her unique blend blend, uh, blend excuse me of like she's sort of funny. And like a little ironic all the time, but also very vulnerable in a shielded way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really she's something. I, I she I am impressed with her career because um, like a year after this, she was in uh, as good as it gets, and she's incredible in that. Uh, she's she's a very good actor. Uh, Sounds like you're mad about her. I mean, don't you think she's uh-huh. great? I really think she's. Very good. No, she's fantastic. She, I'm, I'm just making they stupid are wonderful jokes. jokes. She's the only person that mm. makes this movie not feel like dumb schlock, right? Like she, yeah. she and and her. Oh, and her she aunt. carries yeah, a lot. And her of aunt. It. Yeah, for the genuine like Joe is a great yeah. character. I love when she turns to Bill Paxton and is like, basically, you haven't been there. You don't know how it like skips that house, skips that house and hits you. Like, you don't, you don't, this isn't as important to you fundamentally, even though we always act like we're the same. And I'm like, oh, that's a, that shows why you got a divorce. That shows why you're like fanatical about this shit. It shows a lot of stuff. It's a good uh, story moment for a movie that otherwise isn't like, it's like more or less just like, let's go out there and have some tornadoes fun. You know, let's watch the cows go. It's the story of a know? marriage <laughs> reconciling, uh, which which is fine. Right, which is uh, doesn't no. need to be, but I it's think fine. it's fantastic. Uh, you know, the part when it's like the 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 score is like an orchestra, but it's like dun 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 yeah, dun, and then they turn, and then it's Van Halen. Yes, it's Van Halen. Yeah, yes. Uh, it's, it's cool, right? I, I noticed cool. there was a lot of '70s shit born into this movie. Like there's the Shining, yeah, it's yeah. The there's the Shining, and there's Cream. There's fucking Cream references uh, that were like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Eric Clapton. There's a guy what that looked fuck? like Eric Clapton in the movie. It's like, dude, why are you so obsessed with Eric Clapton, man? That's right. <laughs> like, what's the deal? Yeah. People just know Oklahoma. Fantastic casting of like every yeah. single person a part of that team is very interesting. Like you immediately, they're all doing the like the the one where the sequence where they're ch- uh, switching the radios. And it's like let's check in with this car, and like it's the couple that it's like oh Oklahoma, da, da, you know, like they're saying they're singing. Uh, you know, like uh, Oklahoma musical numbers, and then switch the channel, and that guy's singing, you know, uh, Ride of the Valkyries or something like that. Like they're all doing 
a very unique thing. And you also got Philip Seymour Hoffman who's doing his own thing, which I think he was like cast as a stoner. Like they wanted just a typical stoner character that's based off of like the extreme, you know, and like all those lines. But like, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman gave you a much more nuanced, like dude. He, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's so funny to think this is what he had to do to break in to movies. This is like, he's so he good at it. Uh, he reminds yeah. me of, a couple people I actually know that are like exactly this guy. Uh, and yeah. he's doing a lot of little mannerisms that are super good. <laughs> I know what uh, you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's super good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's su- and this, by the way, more or less is his like breakout, I guess it's not really a breakout because it's uh, not what he got known for, <laughs> you know, no. which are like cerebral <laughs> emotional yeah, stories. I- so it wasn't his breakout for that, but this is like put him on the map of like he was in a blockbuster. He's castable. I guess. It's crazy to think yeah. how late, how late in his career he got started. Sometimes, uh, Carrie Elwes. Yeah, weird role for him too, right? A lot of as just yeah. kind of uh, playing a bad guy. Well, as yeah. just kind of uh, indifferent, smarmy. Uh, like my only problem with that character is that like the way they kill him off is a little sort of trite. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, like yeah. I, I kind of wanted there to be more drama too. They definitely didn't deserve the twister stabbing, impaling. I didn't them mind that that spikes. happened. It just sort of seemed like a really dumb way to die. They were no, dicks. No, they, I, I agree. They needed twister justice. I, I, de- death was the right result. <laughs> it's needed... not that. It's that mm-hmm. like so they just like kind of drove into it like fucking idiots. I mean, how stupid are they? Yeah. You know. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they uh wrong twister. I can't take that joke. That's a song <laughs> Bowie joke. The the titular the titular right. name, the titular name of the tornado in the movie Twister. Twister. Um, yeah. I think uh I don't know. Yeah. Anything do. else you want to say about thing. this one? So like I guess I I should have yeah, said this right up it. top, but so I think it's really easy when you don't make movies, uh, or when you just watch movies to appreciate how trivial movies are right like they're they're trivial like they're they're pieces of entertainment that if they stopped existing our lives might be a little dimmer but humanity would continue uh you know what i mean like they're not essential to our survival as a species and in some ways they're sort of expressions of how silly humanity can be um and i think that's uh sort of the feeling behind a lot of the uh a lot of the sort of like, what are these idiots, these egomaniacs doing when we're judging these kinds of like egregious transgressions. And I don't think that's totally wrong, but I can tell you that even in the small ways I've been fortunate enough to direct and fortunate enough to be put under stress, there's nothing less trivial in the world than your movie when you're making it. Like you, you cannot possibly understand Unless, uh, unless you've poured everything in your life into this, the stakes of these decisions for the people involved in them, like th- this is their this is their it's life. Just a bunch of make them ups. Yeah. Stop taking it so seriously. Take people's safety and well being. Right, and seriously. that's easy. Right, it's easy for us to say that, and that's absolutely true. But it's also important to remember for just the human appreciation element. That like for Jan de Bont or for David Fincher or even for the second AC who got shoved, this process 
is everything they're working for in their life. Their entire world is built on the success of this shot and then the next shot and then the next shot. Like that's how it's life or death in some ways to them, even though it isn't, you know? Um, And that emotion, yeah, that emotional reality cannot be underestimated as conditions to create this kind of conflict and foolishness because that's what human beings do when they're they're in agony. And like mm-hmm. I think Jan de Bont's probably in agony while he's making this film. He's probably very miserable. Um right? He, I'm mm-hmm. sure he's not having a good time. Doesn't sound like he is. No. I mean, it's uh, they're way less stressed. Oh, yeah. This is incredibly stressful. Not to excuse a single thing he did cuz it doesn't. You know, he chose to be a director, he could have chose to be something else. Uh he chose to do this movie, he could have chose not to do it, you know. There's no excuse for it, mm-hmm. but I want to actually describe how it happens so that we can understand it. Like I think that I think it's good to walk away and like understand this is why people are doing these things because this is the life mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. are building for themselves. It's their livelihood. Yeah. There's there's something definitely to be said about that, especially in <clears throat> our industry which has a you know, high supply, low demand for jobs of right. creative types especially but just in general all the way down to the production assistants you're seen as a statistic in the sense that you are just another one you yeah. could be replaced you didn't live so easily. the 50 years and, of trying to get to this point that right. i that right create this kind of mania i think at least a little bit they they do create this mm-hmm. But also compound that with the celebrity right. of everything, where it's like we have all these directors who get the status and fame fame that goes along with the job because they're seen as the guy. In order to simplify the understanding of how filmmaking actually works, uh, not to discredit directors at all, but just in, ter- in general, uh, we need to simplify f- things for human consumption. People who don't give a shit about how the sausage is made, they need to do- just understand like, yeah, but who's like the who's the the man or woman who made this thing happen? Well, it's mainly this person. Oh, love it. Love this. Love that person. And it's just like, let's simplify that. Okay. So if that's true, they, everything falls at their feet. They also get more than they deserve. It's like so many different things going on. Uh, and it's just something I wanted to point out, I guess, is that it's there's just a lot of contracting point, contrasting points that are going on. Uh, Twister is a great example. Uh, the story of Twister is a great example of where it's not clear at all what really happened, even when we have the facts of what happened. Yeah, I think there are, I mean, I think as we've said, there are four or five things in this that are like, the director is responsible for that. But the the production mm-hmm. as a whole and these conditions as a whole don't sound to me like this is because this guy's a tyrant. They sound more like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe he is, but they sound more like this is a man who's being put in put through incredible stress from every side of his, of this process and not doing it right every mm-hmm. day. <laughs> He's doing it wrong some days. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'd say, feel free to comment, uh, people yeah. listening to this, uh, was this fun? Is this an interesting conversation? Are we totally off base here? Are we bringing up things that you feel are devastatingly damaging, uh, given the space yeah. that we're talking in? That's right. This yeah. random podcast film space. Uh, I, you know. I mean, also, I'd know. be intrigued to hear like people point out like elements that they find particularly outrageous that I'd be like, yeah, you're right. 
Like, uh, I don't pretend to represent yeah. a comprehensive viewpoint on what is right and wrong here. Uh, I'm just mm-hmm. reacting. Yeah, oh, like, there would be things that people are like, then he did this and you're ignoring that. I'll be like, dude, you're completely right. I'm not trying to defend the man. I'm just trying to round out the mm-hmm. picture and compare it to my own experience. That's all I'm trying to do, really. Uh, <clears throat> yes, my yes, my man. S- yeah. Ditto. I hope that usually is conveyed by my clown ass. I love your clown in ass. In all of these. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think it goes without saying. We're not, I'm not a moral authority here. We're not trying to be yeah, yeah. bulletproof over here. Tell us about this. I like to point out the nuances about how our brain works. Uh, but maybe that's not seen. That's something about forests and trees yeah, and, and how they're uh, both, you know, made of wood. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. That's no. my clown ass. End yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for talking to me about uh, that. Dude, I thought that was this a is great. I love issues of set safety and like director motifs. You guys need to know mm-hmm. Abe and I, mm-hmm. this subject is the one we talked about the most question mark when we were smoking cigarettes. Like we would talk about, mm-hmm. like what is how to be a direct, like what a moral impetus a director lives under, and how to navigate these kinds of issues. We talked about it all the time. Yeah, like when it's all fucked. Yeah, when it's this all. This is fucked. what we would talk about. Yep. Where do you stand? What do you? What's right? Yep. What, what are you supposed to do? Because so many people don't think about it at all. Yeah, and you don't so want to be people, and that's why we have movements well, right. now, where people right. get dragged on Twitter and don't get hired again. Good for us. That's a. I, I honestly think that that's a good thing that's happening. So I. I, I don't. Uh, I have. I have yet to see the one where it seemed like that doesn't feel feel fair. It's like you know, right? Because so far it's just been about accountability. Um, maybe we'll get a grassroots uh, thing going where it's like let's call it Yonda Bond for Twister. I, I, I hope not. I, I, uh, I mean, maybe. I, I'd like. Uh, I kind of don't. I mean, I kind of don't because there's so many, uh, like, there's bigger fish to fry. Once again, people are going to hate this. <laughs> maybe I'll bring it to one of them. Oh, uh, but beloved, beloved director, Werner Herzog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a little I research, know. everybody. <laughs> Do a little it's research rough. and think about how much we should love that guy. Uh, that said, fucking hilarious. I find Fruit Herzog hilarious, I mean, hilarious, yeah, mixed man. legacies are a thing He's we're a having to navigate. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, we always had to on some level, but like now that people can find out the stuff that happened more easily, uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we have to navigate mixed legacies. How do we deal with it? Um, I don't know. But we have to deal with yep. it somehow. Uh, I, I feel. I agree. And they hear. So there's that. Uh, this was a long episode. Jesus. Well, you know. uh, I had a great we had fun. <laughs> All right. Until Adios, next sir. time, my man. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.